to Dare to Rise. I'm your host, Nicole. I'm going to be solo tonight. Tina is not feeling well, so we wish her well. We miss her, Um, but welcome back. It's been a couple weeks since we last talked, and I'm really excited for tonight's guest and for tonight's interview. You know, the last couple of weeks, we've, you know, had the Thanksgiving holiday, and my kids have been home doing online schooling, so we've been having a lot of conversations about, you know, what is the meaning of Thanksgiving and how fortunate our family is, and, you know, the conversation of food insecurity came up and, you know, explaining that to my nine and seven-year-old of what does that even mean, you know, people that are dealing with food insecurity. And, you know, my kids were pretty... I'm in awe of my nine and seven-year-old because they're really wise. And, you know, I was talking to my kids about, well, what do you think about parents, you know, that are, you know, struggling to, you know, provide food for their families? What do you think they're feeling or what they're going through? And my nine and seven-year-old immediately were talking about, you know, mom, I bet they're feeling scared and they're sad and they're probably feeling defeated. And that's where um, I'm really so fortunate to have our guest, Lauren um, Navadomsky. She's the executive director from The Lantern House on with me tonight because she's one of those great people in our community that is help addressing exactly what my children were discussing with me in regards to, you know, what these families are going through and the struggles that, you know, not only in our community here in Ogden that people are dealing with, but all across our country right now, um, are dealing with a lot of challenges and obstacles. And so I wanted to share um, a little bit about Lauren. She's a native to Northern Utah, a graduate of Roy High School. She received a full ride track and field scholarship in high jump to Weber State University, go Wildcats, where she completed her bachelor's degree in social work and embarked on a career dedicated to serving the most vulnerable in her community. After receiving a master's degree in social work from the University of Southern California and with full support of the board of directors, Lauren assumed the role of executive director in July of 2019. Prior to becoming executive director, she served in several roles at St. Anne's Lantern House, including case manager position and developmental director. Her experience working both directly with the homeless population and overseeing the development department gave her a unique perspective and deep understanding of the needs of homeless clients, her staff, and the broader community. Her endless compassion for the homeless population and specialized training have allowed her to lead her team with strength and agility throughout the COVID-19 pandemic. She's provided shelter, protection, and COVID-19 screenings for the homeless population and leveraged her partnerships with medical providers to ensure the health and wellness of the entire community during this challenging time. As many local services reduced hours and offerings, she remained committed to supporting the most vulnerable in Northern Utah with the 24-7 shelter, food, and case management support they needed to thrive. So with great honor and super and so much excitement, I welcome Lauren to the show. Thank you, Lauren. Yay. Well, thank you for having me. I'm super excited to sit down and talk a little bit about what we're doing and how um, 
how people can make a difference. So thanks again for having me. Well, and that's why you were so perfect for Dare to Rise and our, our platform, because that's exactly what we want to showcase and get knowledge out there into the community of how we can, you know, everybody has an opportunity to make a difference. It doesn't always have to be something on a big run scale. It can be something really small. So um, I wanted to know what drew you to the line of work that you got involved with? Why social work? It all really began um, in my undergrad education at Weber State. Um, I did a lot of my general ed studies and found um, a sociology class that really jumped into the study of people throughout the um, entire world and how um, we all deal with different things. Um, We come from different backgrounds, socioeconomic statuses, and um, it was just so fascinating to me. I'm I'm a woman that loves to go, 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 um, but at the end of the day, I love coming home to a a family um, that loves me and cares about me. And so I always want someone to feel that way. And so it kind of just opened up um, the opportunity for social work. um, And I just jumped right in and I found it was the perfect niche for what I wanted to do and, and what I, what I believed in. So it was, it was a great opportunity for me um, to continue wanting to help people and really making a difference. I love that you can, I can tell the passion that you have for that. And that's amazing to have people like you in our community that are passionate about people and, and caring for people and helping people when they're really at their, I'm going to say, you know, they're vulnerable, most vulnerable, truly. So what are some things that you would like our community here at Dare to Rise to know about, well, what you guys offer at the Lantern House and also kind of piggyback. Let's explain to them when I mentioned that St. Anne's and the Lantern House, because I learned something new from you about that as well. Yeah, absolutely. So I, um, I can start there. So Lantern House um, was rebranded, um, well, was branded in 2015 from St. Anne's Center. So um, we were St. Anne's Center uh, located on Benford Avenue for about 15 years. Um, which started as a soup kitchen and quickly grew to the roundabout services that we're providing now. Um, And then our board of directors at the time and our executive director wanted to do a real big capital campaign and um, recognize the need of our community. And so in 2015, we opened up the Lantern House after a $9 million capital campaign. So we are St. Anne's Center doing business as Lantern House. Often people say, oh, it's sad that St. Anne's isn't around or work all the year. <laughs> well, we're the same people. So, and we have a lot of staff that were a part of the foundation of St. Anne's, the facility there. And, and we've just brought and extended that mission to Lantern House. So, um, you know, Lantern House and St. Anne's have been around for a very long time. Um, the need of homelessness has increased, ex- um, especially in the last couple of years. Um, not only has it been brought to the eyes of our community and in our nation, but um, it's always been around. And so it's really great that we're starting to recognize it and really draw attention to it, bring legislation to it. Um, But, you know, Lantern House is is available to provide support um, to those that need it most. So we are a homeless shelter and soup kitchen where we provide um, 72,000 shelter nights annually and 125,000 meals annually. Um, So we really are a place for people to come at their most vulnerable 
vulnerable time in their life. Um, we, we see people from all walks of life. Um, we serve single men, single women, families with young children, the elderly population, the undocumented. So it really is a place for everyone to land um, and, and get on the road back to self-sufficiency. So yeah, that's a little no, bit about what that's we do. super impressive though. Over a hundred thousand meals annually. That's just it's sad when you think about that, that there are that many people in our community that need help, but what an amazing place that you guys are able to provide that service to people. You just mentioning kind of the different, um, the different type of people that come into your facility. I wanted to kind of touch on base with you about the, the, the face of homelessness is changing. It's not kind of, I'm going to label it a stereotype of, you know, it's some, you know, middle-aged man. You mentioned children, the elderly, the undocumented, can you touch a little bit on the changing face of homelessness? Yeah, absolutely. For, you know, we see people from all walks of life. Um, you know, you, you see them on the streets, you see them in the malls, you see them everywhere. Um, but the, they're individuals in our school systems. They're the individual that's cutting your deli meat. They're, they're people that's checking you out at the grocery store. And so, um, you know, the face of homelessness isn't just a gentleman standing on the corner with a cardboard sign right. saying, I need help, or I'm a retired veteran. It's young children and single moms that are fighting to find food and shelter for their children. Um, it's the, you know, the elderly population that just um, has kind of burned the bridge of their homes or had something happen and, and have to come here. So, I mean, we, we see, we see a variety of people. And I think that that's why I love what we do is, Every day we walk in and it's, um, we see a lot of the same faces, but we also see new faces and we see faces we haven't seen in a long time. And so no two day is really the same and no two night of the people staying there is the same group of people. And so um, we have services to accommodate anybody where they're, wherever they are at. If they are struggling with substance abuse, um, we have services for them and we'll accept them. If there's they're in the middle of a mental health crisis, we can, we can adhere to that. So, you know, homelessness isn't just somebody that um, has fallen on hard times and just needs to, you know, come in. It is people struggling with substance and addiction issues and, um, you know, mental health or undocumented status. You know, that's something that really isn't touched on as much as we would like it to be, but um, it is, a, it's, you know, if you can imagine having one of those barriers I talked about or possessing multiple, maybe being 84 years old, undocumented with serious mental health, I mean, it can be, you know, it's a recipe for disaster. And so that's why Lantern House is there to really make, make sure anybody in their walk of life can, can get the help they need. Yeah. It's, you guys offer a service, um, and, and a home is what I'm going to call it to anybody who, um, is in need. And I think that's, what's just another reason why I think what you guys are doing is so amazing is that it's open to literally anybody and anybody who has fallen on hard times or is struggling with, you know, um, certain situations in their life. You mentioned about children and, um, which I'm a mom and I just think in general, when it comes to kids that pulls on my heartstrings, but when you're, you have children that are, um, you know, dealing with homelessness, what does that look like when it comes to educating and school? Um, how do you guys kind of, you know, um, combat that? I know a lot of what's going on with online school and dealing with the pandemic and everything. How has your, your facility been able to come combat that to make sure that these children aren't, you know, falling more behind? Absolutely. One of, you know, one of the 
the hardest things is um, we serve everybody. And so we don't specialize just in the children. We don't have the ability to just focus on the children. Mm -hmm. So we really have to figure out what's the most important. And um, as a staff, we decide every day that the most important thing is to keep these kids' life as normal as possible. Yeah, specifically getting them to school, um, making sure that they have access to, a, you know, a, like a sack lunch or a, a lunch to take to school, or they have the proper school supplies, or if they want to participate in a sport, we can make sure that they can have access to that. So during the pandemic, we've definitely faced some challenges of figuring out how to to keep these kids home in the homeless shelter um, while giving them, you know, the equal access to education that all the kids need and making sure that they have it. So um, two years ago, well, actually it was 2019. So I feel like 2020 is just No, I'm like, 2020 has been a blur. It's like, let's just forget this year, 2019 and let's skip to 2021, right? Yes, right. So it was in in, uh, March of 2019 that we received a grant to open up a learning center within our homeless shelter to meet the needs of the kids um, that were currently staying at the facility. So that... That is our Dumkey Learning Center, and it was made possible by the Dumkey Foundation. That's why we named it that. And it is a, a place for the children to have access to a tablet or a computer to do homework, to meet with, um, you know, teachers or resource specialists or mental um, mental health, anything, just to make them feel more comfortable. And so really, um, during the pandemic, we've been able to open up and utilize that and make sure that... The school knows what's going on. Um, You know, I really have to give a shout out to our local school districts. They do a phenomenal job working with our homeless individuals, ensuring that the children are first to be picked up on the bus and last to be dropped off to avoid bullying or anything like that. Um, Making sure they have all the proper um, tools and education that they need to make sure they don't fall behind. So, um, you know, when we went on, when school ended early, we all kind of were like, uh oh, what do we do? Right. You know, we normally aren't used to having that many kids in the facility at the same time. And, you know, we do our best to make it as comfortable as possible for them, but it's not, I mean, they don't have a whole house to themselves. They don't have a big old yard to run and play kickball in. And, you know, a, a kind of looking at like a single mom with four kids and she's in a, you know, a 400 square foot room. How do you entertain the kids for that long? Right. Keep them safe and, and, and not worry about the world crisis that we're going through. And so, you know, it's been difficult, but we, we've been able to manage and make sure all of our kids have, you know, tablets to do online in school if they get um, a soft closure or anything like that. And I'm really happy to report that we're, we're thriving in school online learning. And, you know, I don't have any children, but I can tell you, I have about 45 children that were shelter. And I feel, I mean, I feel that pressure and that burden that parents are dealing with, with soft closures and online school and, and our teachers, you know, they do a phenomenal job of making sure the kids aren't left behind and that they're all, they're all staying up to speed. So it's been difficult, but I think we've managed well. No, I love, no. And our teachers really are superheroes. I'm so happy to hear what you shared about the school districts um, being a, a collaborative partner with you guys and helping these children to make sure that, you know, they, they're getting what they're needing to during this time. I am doing online um, learning with my children and it is not easy. So I can't imagine 40 plus kids. 
kids? I've got two. And it's challenging in itself at times. Um, but like you said, you know, um, I think during these times we're realizing how we're more resilient than what we realize. And, you know, this is where real innovation happens and where we get creative and, we, you know, thinking more outside of the box. And I think what you guys are doing with your approach has been amazing to really, you know, ensure and try to help these families kind of have some normalcy. I did want to ask you, so tell me, I've never been to the Lantern House. So I want to know what is your facility? Like how many, um, how many people can you house? What is, tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, absolutely. So we, we are a large facility. We are actually, um, if we go by the bed count, the largest homeless shelter in Utah. Oh, um, really? Yeah. So, learning something new. Cool. Yeah. So, um, there are, you know, four other large shelters, um, in, you know, between here and Salt Lake uh-huh. and they serve individual populations, but we're the only one that's combined and the amount of bed we, beds we serve is, is the highest. So we um, are a 330 bed facility. Uh-huh. Um, and then during the winter months, that occupancy jumps up to 380. Um, we open up a separate area of our facility to meet the winter overflow just okay. to get harsh conditions. So um, we have 14 individual family rooms that are dedicated to single and two parent households with children. Um, so usually we can, uh, um, our occupancy is about six per room. So, okay. uh, you know, um, that number there. And then we have um, about 60 dedicated single women bed beds and about a hundred um, single men beds. And then the rest are just general population. So whoever comes in can get a, you know, can get that bed. So, um, 330 is our occupancy and that's new. We've just, when we first moved in, we didn't quite have one solidified, but we did right before the pandemic hit, um, solidified our occupancy. So that's a new one. It's new for everyone. (laughs) (laughs) That's really impressive. And, um, gosh, Ogden, you're awesome. That's really cool that we have, um, a facility like this, um, in our area to be able to, again, support and help our community. Um, So just talking in regards or touching back on COVID-19 and the pandemic, what challenges have you guys been facing and how can our listeners and Ogden as a community better support you guys? I, you know, you and I talked the other day about, you know, we're not right now due to the pandemic, you can't have volunteers right now due to COVID-19. So what are ways that we can better support you guys as a community? You know, and I shared this with you and Tina last night, it, you know, really just education is key and power in this situation and, and um, ensuring everybody's safety is our biggest concern right now. And so that's why we have um, stopped volunteers. We've actually haven't had them since March and, and we miss them. I mean, we annually, we, we have about 80,000 volunteers that come through. Oh, wow, I love um, that. You know, hours and everything. And so they, I mean, they used to... I say used to, again, like it was years ago. But <laughs> it feels like that, though. Remember, I think 2020 has done that to us. It feels like normalcy was, you know, 10 years ago, even if it was only like eight months ago. Yeah, so we would, I mean, we would rely on 24 volunteers a day just to serve the meals. And wow. so we've definitely seen the impact there of um, having staff work extra time and stuff. But um, the biggest thing that we've done through the COVID-19 pandemic is we've remained open. We um, have had to adjust a few things, and most of those are just direct services. We, at the beginning, we weren't quite sure how COVID-19 was um 
pass back and forth. So we had to limit face-to-face -face contact with our case managers, but we remained open through the whole thing. And we are still open. Um, if people drive past our facility, they may see a little bit of tent city is kind of what we're getting called because people are fearful to come into our building, which they mm. shouldn't. We are trying to keep everyone safe, but it is that education that I talked about of informing our guests that it is safe to come in. It's okay. But, um, you know, it's the client's right to do what they want. And if they want to stay outside, they can, and we make sure they're taken care of. But, you know, the COVID-19 pandemic has just taught us to be able to pivot very quickly. Um, I can tell you at the onset of this um, pandemic, it was hourly changes to our operations, our staff freaking out, going home to to these fam to their families that have been in contact with with people and you know we made it through the first six or seven months with with no positive cases we were keeping everyone safe we were keeping everyone's social distance as best we could but i mean how do you properly social distance when you live with 329 other oh, people no i can't even imagine that that's why when you were just you, just you describing your facility and how many people you house um i think that's that's amazing you guys had been able to go that long without an issue but seriously i mean that's a, a huge challenge when it's a virus you know yeah. contain a virus so it doesn't go everywhere yeah it's um that was our biggest thing of just trying to educate ourselves and look into the research of how this is you know transferred back and forth how do we mm -hmm. properly take care of everybody um so we you know quickly started um doing like um like COVID check-ins every night. So we would just screen people asking if they're feeling okay, checking their temperatures. Um, and like I said, we went for through the first six or seven months with, with no positive cases. And then, and then we had our time like everybody to have to deal with an outbreak. So our outbreak hit um, the last week of October and we had um, 47 cases in a matter of two days. Um, which we per we we anticipated just because of the way that people are living um, in that facility and stuff. We try to keep people safe, but again, how do you social distance with 329 other people? And so yeah. we've definitely um, had to navigate to, um, to deal with the outbreak. And so all of our homeless individuals have been tested um, and we will continue to test through, through all of this. Um, but the biggest thing is we're just trying to keep everyone's safe and healthy. Um, unfortunately, we, we, we did lose um, three individuals um, in that week to COVID-19, um, which, which is heartbreaking. And I think that that's what people um, that I want to get out to the community is this is their home. This is, this is their place yeah. that they go. And just like all of us, um, a stay at home order, like how do you, how do you follow a stay at home order when you don't have a, have home. a home. Yeah. No. And so it's, it's, so it's been, um, it's been full of emotion. Um, we've, I mean, and, and that's my biggest thing through all of this is we, we just stay tough and we go through the door and we, we continue to serve and, and a lot of our community partners and our, our, um, our community as a whole have had to adjust and make it, you know, make arrangements to meet the need of their people. And, and we've just remained open. And so um, 
we we are very tired we are very okay. um, I, you guys it just from what you've been describing so much work so much and obviously you, you you even when you leave the facility obviously the concerns of your the people that are living there weighs heavy on your heart i can just feel that talking to you and i mean i'm even tearing up just thinking about you know just that's a that's a heavy heavy thing to carry with you even when you're not there so that's a lot for you and your staff to be combating with and in addition to everything else yeah so we um and that's and that's what i ask of our community you know i i look at the nurses and the doctors and the medical personnel that are dealing on the with front lines and and i just want to remind people that just because we're not a medical facility, we're still frontline staff. We're yes. essential. We have remained open and we're there. And, and so, you know, we're asking, we're asking the, the community for the support of not coming to our, to our facility. And that's not because we don't want you there. It's because we, we see it every day, every hour of the day, how it impacts right. us all. And so we want to keep everyone safe. So how people can really make a difference is um, donations. We are accepting donations right now. Um, can you our, be specific when you're saying what kind of donations do you, what kind of donations are you guys accepting? Absolutely. So we will accept anything. Um, but right now our biggest focus is food, um, hygiene. Uh, we are also really focusing on um bedding uh, because we're really transitioning through bedding very quickly Uh, towels and our basic needs there Um, and then uh, monetary donations are always super helpful Um, that allows us to continue to provide shelter nights Um, on average it costs one person for one night of shelter fourteen dollars so if you can imagine 330 people for one night at fourteen dollars a night it can get it can get expensive Um, we're very fortunate to have state and federal funds that were granted but it doesn't it doesn't cover everything so but really um, we've seen a lot of donation drives for canned food coats blankets um, gloves hats anything like that um, it's we'll keep you safe you can just call us and we'll meet you out in your car and pick it up you don't have to come into our facility and we ask that you don't mm-hmm. um, and we've continued to keep um, the community updated on our Facebook page with what our current donation needs are and things like that. So there are definitely ways to support. And um, I know a lot of places have limited their donations, but we have not. So definitely keep us in mind for all of that. And then um, we, every year we do a miracle on 33rd street program. So that is to um, sponsor a child for Christmas for their Christmas. Oh, I love that. Yeah, so it's also on our Facebook, and we have um, Shelby, who is our Miracle on 33rd sponsor director, and she all the information's on there. So if people want Perfect. to child for Christmas, they can do that. And we focus on all the children that are currently at the shelter and who have transitioned in and out in the last three months. So, oh, that's amazing. That is such a neat thing. And I love that because, you know, Christmas is a magical time for everybody, but especially for our little ones, they look, that's something that they always look forward to and everything. I, real quick, when you're talking about bedding, are you guys needing twin bedding, queen, king? Is it everything just so our listeners know what they can, like what, what specifically when it came to the bedding? Well, absolutely. All of our bedding um, are twin, they're twin mattresses. Okay. So, and then, um, it, but if we do receive queens or kings, um, we make sure that they go with 
the individuals or families that transition out and get a place of their own, we make sure that they have that type oh, of Oh, perfect. So you, you, you would use it regardless yep, anyways. Not, yeah, we, we make it work. And I think, you know, and our work doesn't just stop when our homeless individuals transition into their own place. We have programs to keep them in their housing um, to help support with rent and stuff. And then just, um, like I said, like the bedding and the food to help them stay housed so they can focus completely on their rent and not fall back into homelessness. So we've got programs from the beginning all the way to the end. <laughs> no, I love that. So you were talking a little bit ago about, um, you know, when you guys were doing when you guys are dealing with um, the the pandemic, dealing with COVID-19 and your guys' um, the outbreak that you guys experience in your facility. So do you guys have um, a medical facility or how do you guys make, um, how do you guys coordinate with medical support in, in combating that type of an issue or any other issue, I guess, if your people are experiencing illness um, and maybe don't have health insurance? So we are very fortunate to have a on-site clinic in our facility. It is called Hope um, Hope Clinic, and Hope Clinic is actually a partnership with Midtown Community Health Center. So we have there's I think there's eight Midtowns through the state of Utah. So one of them, one of those are in Lantern House. So that is a homeless clinic. So anybody that is experiencing homelessness, whether they're staying at Lantern House or maybe they're staying at the YCC Family mm-hmm. Crisis Center or the Rescue Mission, they can come be seen at the clinic. The clinic has mental health and physical health and dentistry. Um, it is free to the guests um, and they don't have to have any type of insurance. They, they can just show up and get seen. And they also do all of their medication, um, which is very homeless medication focused. So anxiety, depression, uh, medication, blood pressure, diabetic, that type of stuff. Mm -hmm. So we've been very fortunate through this pandemic to have the medical team there on site um, as we're screening people and um, making sure everyone's staying safe because, you know, like we've seen in our world, it's not just COVID that's going on. We have the flu that's hit, you got your strep and, and everything. So they're working around the clock to make sure people are screened and then um, they're getting their other needs are being met. One of the biggest things that Hope Clinic does provide is the mental health groups for our um, individuals that are experiencing homelessness. So they really focus on substance abuse treatment um, and groups and things like that. And it, and it's it's a phenomenal there. It's a partnership um, between Lantern House and Hope. And so they've been great. So they've done the majority of our screening for COVID-19. Um, in October, we actually became a a COVID screening facility. So our staff can swab and run a test. We're very fortunate again, like I said, to have the 15 minute test results, um, which actually meets the need very, very good for the homeless client. They're very transient in nature. So to get them to lock down somewhere for five days, awaiting a test result, just doesn't work. (laughs) It doesn't work sometimes. Yeah. So, so we have amazing results. So yeah, it's all been made possible through our local health department and Midtown Community Health Center. So, oh no, that re- that really is so amazing. And thank you for I'm learn. Say I am also learning so much because I didn't know um, what your guys' facility um, had or how what kind of partnerships. So that's so again, that's such a wonderful um, resource and partnership. Like you were saying, that is available to um, um, your guys' patrons um, at the facility. So I think that's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, I also wanted to touch with you kind of um, at the top of um, our our conversation tonight. I talked about what I was sharing with my children about 
food insecurity and what does that mean and you know what what's going on not only in Ogden but just throughout our entire country um you know the other day I was listening to the news and they were talking about before the pandemic we were about you know probably eight million people were you know dealing with these challenges and now obviously eight months into the pandemic or I'm losing count too, by the way, with where we're at now, but it's now over 30 million. So in regards to food insecurity, I feel like it's even become more heightened during the pandemic. What have you noticed or what has your facility noticed with people um, experiencing food insecurity? So our, our soup kitchen has um, always been there for not just the homeless community, but for the low-income community. So we have definitely seen the needs of the food, the food insecurity um, and, how, and how impactful that can be. Um, I can tell you that um, from the very beginning of the pandemic, our meals were, we were serving about 550 a day. Mm-hmm. Um, through April, May, and June, we were up near 900. Um, and, and we had just doubled. Yes. Wow. And we, um, because of how our soup kitchen is ran through donations, we really, we, you know, breakfast was only available to those that had stayed there the night before, but lunch was available to anybody. We ended up opening up all three meals to make sure everyone had somewhere that they knew they could go. It could be free to them. They, there's no, and there is no requirements of individuals coming to our soup kitchen. Um, you know, and, and we also have helped definitely when schools have closed down, we've made sure that people have sack lunches at their homes. Um, if the school is unable to provide it. So I can tell you that, you know, we deal and see homelessness every single day, but something that we also see very heavily is the, the food insecurity and the, and the issues there. We, um, I, I mean, I can't believe we're living, you know, before the pandemic began, I can't believe we were in 2020 and people still are struggling to find food. It, it just is completely baffling it's to me. Isn't it, it? It's just, we're, we're, you know, America, we're, we're, America is, I'm going to say portray, you know, we're the greatest country in the world. It's 2020. We have all of this technology and innovation, and still we have millions of Americans, millions of children that are going home every night and they're not being able to feed themselves. I'm right there with you. It's baffling. Yeah, it's, um, you know, in a community, a service community that really focuses on housing and shelter, um, we've really adjusted our our scope and have focused on bridging the gap for food. Um, I know a couple of the local uh, food banks have really focused on um, backpack meals for the weekend. So they're sending their kids home with more so they don't, so they get to Monday when school's back in session without with having more food. And so I definitely think there's a lot of effort being put toward food insecurity, but I think the biggest thing, you know, that I always talk about is we're all living in crisis mode. We are all, you know, are we going to get shut down? How do I, you know, where do I go for this? Where do I go for that? If you can, if you can imagine feeling like the way we've all felt for nine months, imagine living that every single day, also not knowing where you're going to go home or where your next meal is. So um, it's, it's the perfect disaster for these people that are, that are dealing this, dealing with this. And, and that's why Lantern House is, 
is here is to bridge that gap and create that light for people to not be in crisis mode and and people don't have to think twice of where their next meal will come from because we are there and other agencies are there and so um it's hard it's very it's very difficult um to even think that we are living in a world with people are still starving Oh, I'm right there with you. And I just keep thinking, and even when I was preparing to talk with you tonight, I keep thinking, what is the solution? Like, what can we do as a community to truly make it or what can we establish so people are not going hungry anymore? Do you get what I mean by that? Like, really, what can we do? I We do the same things over and over again, but we're not getting a different result because still millions of people are struggling to... Um, feed themselves, feed their families. And obviously, you know, just throw in like you were, you know, what you were just describing, you're in crisis mode already, and then throw in a pandemic on top of that. And so opportunity for employment is scarce. Um, The need for food support is even increased. I would imagine your, what your facility offers is in higher demand. Like how do we um, combat that? How, you know, just... Yeah, no, at a I, loss. Like, what can we do to change this? I or really think, end it. Yeah, no, and I mean, I think if we really had the answer, then we probably wouldn't be sitting here. We'd probably, right? be, you know, <laughs> making millions of dollars or doing something to figure it out, but or going to, you know, something. But, um, you know, I'm re- I'm really big on education and what we can do as um, as members of our society. Um, I know one of the biggest things that I love is the is the opportunity to vote because you're voting for people that are making a difference into your community. And so, educating who's involved and who you your local leaders and how you can write to them about things you're seeing in your community. I know I appreciate that. I appreciate when people drive past my facility and they see something they don't like, they are not afraid to tell me about it and let me know because I might not know about it because I know much going on. And so I think as, you know, as members of society, we have a due diligence to, to reach out and let our elected officials and the people that are making these decisions know that we're scared. We're concerned about what we're seeing and what's going on. What can I do? What can you do to make a difference? And so that's my biggest thing um, is just knowing, knowing, knowing that there is a problem and, and realizing that we can't fix it overnight, but we can do something little things every day to make a difference. Lauren, I absolutely love what you said because it really, I'm sitting here kind of, you know, brainstorming like what can we do to end this? But I think the most important thing and kind of going off of do something. Don't just sit there and, you know, complain about it or, you know, be frustrated about it. If you see something, be part of the solution. If you see something, elevate that to your local leaders. And like what you said, the power of voting is real and it is loud and let's hear what you have to say with that and everything and also get involved. And, um, I am so appreciative of you taking the time to come be with myself and share everything about your organization and the great work that you guys do tonight. And I just want to challenge everybody, you know, get involved. Um, even if it's not the Lantern House, if it's your children's school, if it's a neighbor that you know is struggling, reach out to people um, in need and just ask for those um what can you do to help them? I just think that's really important. Just do something. Don't just stay stagnant. I guess Lauren is where I'm going with that. Yeah, no, yes. I mean, I always, I have a saying on my office wall and it says, if you don't like something, 
move. You're not a tree. So like, you I know, love like, that. <laughs> you know, like move, like we, we are, we are living in a progressive, progressive era. Let's yeah. all forward. Let's all do something. Um, I, I mean, I, I love the lantern house and it's, it's embedded in my soul, but I, I know of a lot of other agencies, a lot of services, a lot of churches that are in need of support. Um, not only if it's, you know, donations or monetary support, but, uh, you guys are doing great things. Thank you for what you do. A letter, a handwritten letter. Absolutely. I'm telling you during this pandemic and right now, just the hope of other people that instills in you is something that makes you keep going. Um, I know that, of uh, uh, you know, right when the outbreak hit, I really struggled to go in. Um, and it wasn't because I don't love it and want to be there, but it's hard. It's very heavy. And it was the members of my staff that got me back to work that said, you know, we're here together. We're all going to do it together. And it, team. I'm, I'm telling you, it was probably one of the darkest times we've ever had at the facility. But look, we're here today to talk about it and what we've learned and we're moving forward. And so that's how I want everyone to live their life is, you know, it's a new day tomorrow. You can get, you can do hard things and you can get through it. And, and that's what I hope um, Lantern House shows is you can do hard things and you can get through it. Oh, I lo- and that's a perfect way to end our interview because I love exactly what you said. And again, Lauren, I from me to you, thank you for what you do. Please tell your team. I also say thank you. It's appreciated. And you guys are rock stars, really. And I see you and you guys are on the front line. So thank you guys for all that you guys do for our, our community and being inspirations. Truly, you've got me thinking a lot of the great things that I can do um, with my family and my friends and everything so I can get out there and continue to support Ogden to be what I want it to always be. So thank you so much, Lauren, for joining tonight. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me and thank you for recognizing the the needs in our community. Oh, thank you. I appreciate your time. Yep, absolutely. Okay, thanks, hon. Yep. I want to thank Lauren so much again for joining me tonight on Dare to Rise. I really hope all of our listeners take a lot from what she had to share. Um, Please make sure that you follow her um, and the Lantern House on all of their social media pages that they have and their website. We'll have all of that linked in our podcast bio um, for this podcast episode. Um, I really think what's so important is, you know, if we see something and um, there, we know that there needs to be some improvement, like be active. If we see change that needs to happen, move, don't stand still. Um, and also just get out there and get involved, you know, not only during the holiday season, but, you know, year round, we always need to be engaged and looking at ways that we can improve the community and support one another, especially in our time of need. Um, and just a friendly reminder, again, what Lauren was sharing about the needs of their facility, you know, food, sheets, towels, toiletries, um, you know, that's my call of action to you guys for this episode is really just get out there and get involved. Um, even if it's not in a huge way with a facility, help a neighbor, be kind to somebody. Um, I just challenge everybody just to dare to rise in your life and be the best you you can be. And I just appreciate everyone taking the time to join me tonight. Um, and I hope everyone um, has a great couple of weeks until we check in with each other um, until the next time. So always remember to dare to rise. City. I know you wanna be there, I bring you with me. This is what I'm doing, tell me that you wanna do it with me. This is what I'm doing, tell me that you'll do it with me, baby. Every day I'm doing.
Sampai